I have no mouth and I must scream. Did you know that he originally wanted to call it I have no nose and I must sneeze? Time for Hitler in Germany. Winter for Poland and France. Uh, nope, still haven't seen it. We will watch this one okay, day. Good. Because another thing that we're probably going to do on our Patreon is watch bad films and get real drunk and talk about it. Because I recently realized that Alan Rickman stars as Franz Mesmer in a movie made by Australians so it- called Mesmer. It needs to be. It needs to come to fruition. And it shall. Mm. It shall. It needs to be reintroduced into our cultural conversation. Yeah. So, Patreon. Patreon. We desperately want to read erotic Victorian novels while drunk. My mother has told me, when you have a skill, monetize it. Monetize it. Whore yourself out in the best possible way. She wept watching me study Greek. <laughs> Is that the hill you're gonna die on? And you're like, yes, but you said it in Greek. Like, the only musical that I like is Chicago for reasons that I wish I was a flapper. And I'm not, and it makes me sad every day. I look in the mirror and I'm like, not currently a flapper. No. So. You're looking at me right now like, look at your fucking hair, Jess. And I'm like, shut up! I'm living my best life. Dress for the job you want, Philippa. <laughs> Jess, your hair looks like a helmet. Fuck you! <laughs> As I'm weeping into a cocaine-laced glass of gin and tonic. Flapper life. Hashtag flapper life. We both took a big drink at the same time. It's like, no, we can't both drink. One of us has to talk while the other drinks. I learned something very good, mm-hmm. which is there was a racehorse called Patu. As you can imagine how that's spelled. Patu. Patu. Because when the guy was like putting like into his stable boy, being like, put this horse away, the boy was like, okay, yeah, well, I'll write on this like bucket. What's his name? It's like potatoes. It's like potatoes. Potatoes? Yeah. Potatoes. Wrote it down. Pot. Eight O's. <laughs> jokes, jokes, jokes. But, like, the kid was an idiot, so he wrote that down. Pot, and then the number eight, and then O's. And the guy thought that was so fucking funny that he actually changed his name to Pot Eight O's, or Potoo. <laughs> Funny. That is good. <laughs> and that horse also, like, was a champion and sired many, many other racehorses. So. And then it became Patoo. Patoo. One. One. <laughs> Welcome to Everything's Awful Forever. Hell is other people, but at least most of them are dead now. I'm Philip Evans. And I'm Jessica Byrne, Idris Elba's body double. (laughs) This is the hill that I am dying on. I don't know about you, but I'm going to introduce myself stupidly each time. All of our listeners will groan and roll their eyes and it's like, stop it! This is (laughs) is my hill! So, hysteria. Welcome back, guys. In her book, Mad, Bad, and Sad, Yay! which is just a fantastic discussion of how madness represents itself in women in the 1700s to 1800s, Lisa Apinionesi? Apinionesi. Oh. She says that a woman's sense of who she is was very much tied up in the concept of being useful. So always being busy and supervising servants or doing needlework or caring for friends and relatives and engaging in good works and entertaining friends. Mm -hmm. 
And so what opinion essay suggests is that throughout this time, middle-class women who didn't want to be worn away by all of this trivial busyness and emotional labor unconsciously chose madness, <laughs> or poor nerves, or whatever, as a different lifestyle. I agree with that. I am so lazy that I would rather <laughs> stay in bed forever. Basically, the only reason I get out of bed is because I need to eat or pee. <laughs> By way of example, she mentions Elizabeth Barrett Browning, who was the eldest of 12 children. Such a daughter would be expected to care for all of these siblings, and her father, and assist her mother. But Elizabeth was like, nope. <laughs> she became really frail around the age of 14, and instead was able to live a quieter life, and could focus on, oh, I don't know, the poetry and political activism that she would become famous for. Oh. Not a bad choice, Lizzie. It also makes me think about Virginia Woolf writing about Shakespeare's sister. Did you ever read Virginia sister? She's a fictional character called Judith. Virginia Woolf says that if such a woman were to have existed, someone as imaginative and curious and brilliant as her brother Shakespeare, her life would have been overwhelmed with drudgery and chores, and she would never have had the opportunity to create. And I think in the end, she dies in a ditch as a prostitute. <laughs> <laughs> I feel the exact same way about my brother. My brother is like has a doctorate. He is Doc Dom, and I want him to have a website, docdom.com, <laughs> Dominic. And he's like this brilliant kind of like scientist. He's got mad scientist hair. He's amazing. Dom, you don't listen to this. You're not going to, but I love you. You're awesome. And I'm the fucking loser child. So <laughs> I feel the exact same way, Judith. You look at his successes and you're like, patriarchy! <laughs> That's right. I go into a feminist rant, which is my default state. But it's like when we go home for Christmas, they're like, what have you done? He's like, oh yeah, I was in like uh, Poland, like like handling deadly enzymes and shit. And I wrote this paper and like discovered this new thing in blood. And then they're like, and you're doing drawing still, Jess? And I'm like, yes. Got a podcast now. <laughs> Got a podcast. And yesterday I saw a cat. <laughs> Patriarchy! Patriarchy! <laughs> and I'm not saying that every woman faked hysteria to get out of the life that she was trapped in. But you are saying that. <laughs> I'm implying it. <laughs> Their various symptoms may have arisen as a response to those shit lives and provided some kind of way out. Although there are divided opinions on this, it's possible that if a woman verbally expressed dissatisfaction with her life and was like, Oi, I want the vote. And I said in my terrible <laughs> accent... <laughs> I don't even know what I was going for. <laughs> it's all kind of like weird, like Swedish, I think. <laughs> the Swedish have the vote, Jess. <laughs> so, <laughs> if a woman said, hello, I would like the vote very much, <laughs> that was more likely to be read as madness than if a man was to do that. So, you don't like washing the dishes, Mildred? You crazy bitch. You crazy bitch? Andrew Skull, in his excellent book called Hysteria, the biography, asks whether it might be understood as an unspoken idiom of protest, a symbolic voice for the silent sex, who are forbidden to verbalize their discontents, and so created a language of the body. Yeah. Other people are like, yeah, it's just fake. <laughs> it's not real. <laughs> Is that in Australia? Yes. <laughs> I'm Eurotrash. Accents. <laughs> We're good at all of them. So just because I'm not suggesting that hysteria was a faked disease doesn't mean that other people weren't outright stating that that was the case. Yeah. I have 
some sympathy for the doctors of hysterical patients. It was a disease that presented itself in all sorts of ways, and the patients themselves were often quite a handful. I mean, they were hysterical. (laughs) They they were, and yes. (laughs) (laughs) And the doctors of these patients tried all sorts of cures. Lots of pills, including exciting ingredients such as iron, very nice. Good. Strychnine. Uh, Our old friend. Quinine. Good. Oh, what's that? Oh, it's what you. It's what you get in your tonic water when you're having a nice G and T. The British used to drink it because they thought it prevented malaria, and I think it might have. Maybe I don't know. Did you know that Henry VIII got malaria four times? (laughs) Really? I love Henry VIII. That man is a god. He is my god. He really is. (laughs) So quinine, arsenic, and mercury. Kill or cure. Mm, like, she's dead, but she does not have his steer anymore. She's not moving anymore, which means that her symptoms are gone. Mm, that'll be $20. <laughs> on Mercury Pulls, one doctor said that they work on hysteria by abstracting morbid excitement from the brain to the mouth. And if that doesn't sound like a flavor party, <laughs> I don't know what does. Yeah, I don't have a quip for that. I don't just, have one. Uh, just like, mm, ouch. <laughs> That's bad. Another remedy was the use of opiates, such as laudanum and morphine. So, mm-hmm. shh, only dreams now. <laughs> <laughs> the Lannisters send their regards. <laughs> there were pills to make you vomit, pills to make you pee, pills to make you turn into a swarm of bees. I don't know. Let's just get something out of you and it'll kill you. Bees aren't hysterical. <laughs> Problem Have solved. Have you ever seen a hysterical bee? No, I don't think so. There you go. Shut up, Mildred. Shut up. Become a bee. Get out of here. We want more honey. At least until the mid-1800s, doctors tried to bleed their hysterical patients through lancets and leeches. And they also tried more therapeutic methods. Sea holidays, or a visit to the oh. Alps, or German spas. So Mildred would be like, don't want the bee treatment. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> no. like to go to the Alps. Bee treatment. <laughs> I love bees. When I was a kid, I used to try and stroke them, because they're just these fat little fuzz flies, and I loved them, and I stroked them a lot, and I liked bees. All the Victorians would try water treatments. Victorians had weird ideas about water. Did they? What? What? Water? That that shocks me that Victorians were weird about a normal thing. (laughs) It's like, like you give a thing and it's like, oh yeah, the Victorians were weird about it. Yeah. Table legs. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking, they used to think that bees grew out of them and then they thought it was a cure for blindness. (laughs) So hysterical patients drank water, they sprayed it on themselves... They doused themselves in water or wrapped themselves up in wet sheets, hot or cold. Crazy talk. But despite all these treatments, the hysterical patients just didn't get better. Oh, they're like that, aren't they? That's <sighs> so typical. Uh, Mildred. Mildred, just get better. So no matter what you did, there they were, constantly complaining, blaming you, their doctor who'd given them a B, <laughs> for your failure to cure them. I just like the idea that he handed them a bee, just like, what's in my hand? It's a bee. And he just hands <laughs> it to you. It. And you're like, what, what do I do with it? And he's like, I have given you the medicine. Now it's your turn. <laughs> this is a two-way relationship. 
you know what to do. <laughs> I would I would stroke my cheek with B, and then I would, I would love it, and I would call him Beanard and put it on a little leash, and it would be your therapy yes, bee, little, and you'd feel much better. Yeah, my this this is my emotional support bee. I need to come in, let me in with my bee. <laughs> Come on, Beanard. So the doctor-patient relationship became just a tad toxic. Doctors would blame their patients for stubbornly remaining hysterical. <laughs> it's like, you're doing it to spite me! <laughs> Why are you still ill? I gave you the bees! It's like you enjoy it! It got to the point where a number of doctors were accusing hysterical patients of faking it, so maybe it wasn't a physical disorder. Maybe hysterical patients were liars, manipulators, and deceivers, the lot of them. I think it's definitely that. I mean, just look at her arching back into a creepy <laughs> circle. Rolling around with the bees. Like a demon. <laughs> this is... Stop it! <laughs> stop lying to yourself! <laughs> And so the treatments that some of these doctors prescribed became quite sadistic in nature. One doctor, W. Tyler Smith, had an array of cures for the hysterical woman that he'd come to hate. And I quote, A course of injections of ice water into the rectum, introduction of ice into the vagina, and leaching of the labia and cervix. Oh no! You like that, Mildred? No, I don't. <laughs> then stop lying. I don't like it. I'm sorry. Give me the bees back. I'll, I'll do it better this time. I'm dwelling on the bees. I love it. Not actually a cure, but now it is. So Tyler Smith was particularly happy with the results of leeching because the bites oozed blood for hours. Oh, good. I love that the cure for everything back then was bloodletting and, like, thinning of the blood and leeches and just too much blood. Get more blood out and then... Except you thought you had a bad because I was leeching your arm. Well, because you're a lying bitch, I'm going to leech your labia now. <laughs> Imagine. Oh, my God. Uh, the fucking pain. We were just complaining about the menstrual cup. <laughs> I know. We could have been leeches, Jess. Leech vagina, yeah. That would fix your period. It would. It really Can would. Can you imagine pulling them out? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, please. Use the bees! Another doctor, Robert Brutinal Carter, thought that women were faking it because they were super horny. <laughs> because... <laughs> Women couldn't have sex until marriage mm -hmm. and had to conceal any sexual desire that they might feel. And this, Carter thought, produced hysteria. Perhaps at first, when they had a little fit, it wasn't fakery, Carter suggested. But the patient would quickly learn to simulate the illness, aided by her selfish, horny, deceptive nature. Of course. All for sexual pleasure. Mm. He said... I've seen young unmarried women of the middle class of society reduced by the constant use of the speculum to the mental and moral condition of prostitutes, <gasps> seeking to give themselves the same indulgence by the practice of solitary vice and asking every medical practitioner to institute an examination of the sexual orders. Organs. <laughs> sexual organs. Solitary vice. That's a great euphemism for <laughs> masturbation. I oh. like a solitary vice. Mm, I do. doesn't. I do it in the bath, which I call bathstubation. I just know that when I go to my gynecologist mm -hmm. for a checkup, yeah. 
I'm on fire. It's just the horniest when they get that metal thing that looks like a duck mouth. I think that's the speculum. And they shove it in there, and Mm. it's cold and real painful, and then they tell you how powerful your vagina is and ask Mm. you if you do yoga. I don't. (laughs) And I just, yeah, Mm, that's what gets me. When you get your legs in stirrups. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That does it for me. I had an STD check because everyone showed it's sensible. And, like, you get in that chair and you've got your legs in the stirrups and then it's like a mechanic, a mechanized chair and so you're just there, she's sat down and then your, your vagina just, like, slowly <laughs> rises up to eye level. That's what really turns me on. <laughs> That's what I like. So hysterical women weren't sick. They were bad, mm-hmm. bad Victorian dirty, women. Dirty girls. And what do you do with bad hysterical Victorian women? Bees in them. <laughs> Close. <laughs> <laughs> you take them into your home to live with you, cut them off from their sympathetic family and friends, and then wage mental warfare, employing tactics of humiliation and shame and threats of exposure. That's That's what you do, Jess. Yeah, that was my second choice. Fortunately, most hysterical patients and their families listened to the suggested cure and went, "Ah, no, thank you. Oops, I'm not Uh, hysterical anymore, thanks. And then she rolled out the door. Woo! <laughs> like wheeled out. I'm seeing that as a jife with like nope, 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 nope. <laughs> she a, noped out I'm of there. Sorry, a what? A jife. A jife. It's not a gif. It's a jife. <laughs> that is the correct oh, pronunciation. I just was as sick in my own mouth for a moment. There. That's what the correct people know it as. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure. That's yeah. That's right. So, <laughs> so Carter was like, what? Well, if you don't want that, I've got bees. But nobody came back. And so he later turned to the study of different disorders. Oh, Happy he was, ending. He was lonely. He wanted a pet woman. He did. Yeah. But they just didn't want to live with him and be humiliated on mm. a regular basis. That's a shame. While some doctors were calling women out as manipulative fakers, other doctors were hard at work to come to the medical cause of hysteria. Oh. A disease they believed to be rooted in biology. So their answer to hysteria was, uh, because women. <laughs> women. There we go. Done. Done. Good job, everyone. Fixed, solved. In the 19th century, medical professionals came to believe again, much like the ancient Greeks, that a woman's abilities and her place in society were all linked to the uterus and ovaries. That's why she's so irrational. That's why her primary physical role is to bear children and her intellectual role is to raise children. It's because of her organs. That's correct. Mm. That's science. Women have it hard, doctors thought. Oh, that's what he said. Uh, (laughs) Oh, they're gonna. (laughs) (laughs) But but let's be fair, the doctor said after a wee chuckle. (laughs) Their bodies are constantly going berserk. They suffer from menstruation, <laughs> pregnancy, childbirth, lactation, menopause. It's like, just just settle down, women. We're basically leaking in some capacity mm. at all points. We are, and everything's just going bonkers inside us. Yeah. So doctors suggested that because women have such vast and complicated reproductive systems <laughs> and such tiny, tiny brains, <laughs> it's no wonder that their brains get overloaded. Yes. 
And that's why you mustn't overtax the brain with no. strenuous things like thoughts. No, none of those things. Put the book down, Mildred. <laughs> You've got a family that needs you. Your body is getting real rowdy in there, so you just got to lay down and look <laughs> in the corner and don't do anything else. You're making a suspicious buzzing sound. I think that's your brain shorting out. Just Put down Pride and Prejudice. Bees, bees, and do <laughs> women's things with them. <laughs> So I'm going to end with a French doctor called Jean-Martin Charcot. Oh my god, as a British person, this disgusts me. French. He was known as the Napoleon of neurology. Oh my god. You just know for a fact, it's some nerd who's like this skinny fucking geek and is like, they call me the Napoleon. It's like, no one, you can't give yourself a nickname. Whatever his name was, Jacques. <laughs> didn't listen because it was French. I, <laughs> I think we've effectively proven that you can give yourself a nickname, which find a general. <laughs> oh shit, you're right. I am. That's a callback. God, yeah. So Franz Mesmer, who I mentioned in the last episode, had his fancy silk robes and his ladies in a tub and his magnetically charged trees. Is he the hottest person alive? Because I think, I think so. Except he's super dead, but. Was he the hottest person alive? Well, he was played by Alan Rickman. Uh, yeah, you're right. He was. And, yes, but then I looked up pictures online and I was like, huh, he doesn't look like Alan Rickman at all. Oh, that's a shame. I hate it when, like, the actor is portraying a hot person and then the real person is isn't hot. Like fucking Zac Efron and Ted Bundy. Everyone wants to sleep with Ted Bundy. He's not a fucking terrible monster. Why are you interested in this? It's just really sad when the person who was actually alive now looks like a discounted version of themselves because they were played by Alan Rickman. (laughs) Charcot had a whole fucking circus of hysterics and took very erotic photographs of his patients, which became available to a wider market. Oh, God damn it. But he didn't get chucked out of the medical establishment. Fair enough, he was this incredibly accomplished neurologist who discovered all sorts of things. He worked at an asylum called the Salpêtrière. Sorry, French language? Mm. I don't speak it. It lay just outside of Paris, and it was known as the Versailles of Pain before Chateau <laughs> came along, which is what my red room is called. <laughs> Hashtag Fifty Shades. <laughs> Philip, I've gone over this. I haven't read it. You're terrible. <laughs> so Charcot became fascinated with hysteria. And unlike most French physicians, he believed it to be a real neurological disorder that progressed along a set pattern in every patient. He was also fascinated with hypnotism, which is why I drew a comparison to Mesmer, who of course tried to make mesmerism happen. In the 1870s, Charcot used to give small professional lectures to colleagues and students on a Tuesday. But once he started working with hysterical patients, trying to cure them through hypnosis, these lectures became just one big fucking circus performance. Yay! (laughs) All the fun. Tons and tons of people. And journalists, authors, actors, lay people, a couple of doctors came to watch while he paraded hysterical women about. Oh, for God. (laughs) Hypnotizing them. Just like, yo, come here, look at this. Look at this crazy bitch! And everyone's like, yeah! I love it! Oh my god, look at her rolling around with bees. He used to um, try and cure them on a stage, and if that didn't work, just, you know, hypnotize them and make them do weird shit. I'm sorry, just like, the always sunny in Philadelphia comes to mind, because it's my favourite thing in the world, and just going, sickness! Begone! <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. The fact that you could be hypnotized meant that you were hysterical. Because oh. to him, the two were mutually inclusive. I don't know. There's a term. 
So both then and now, people have complained about how ruthless and insensitive he was. Uh-huh. <laughs> that he was so focused on studying hysteria that he ignored the suffering of his patients when holding his Tuesday circus act. <laughs> He'd bring hysterics onto the stage to poke and prod them and make them contort and seize <laughs> for the viewing pleasure of his audience. Just like, look, do the thing. Do it. Do it. Do it now. Go on. They're watching. Go on. Roll around. Do it. <laughs> he also had star performers. <gasps> One was Blanche Whitman, who was considered to be the queen of hysterics. Oh. There's a fascinating painting by André Brulé, again, sorry French language. French? It was done in 1887, and it depicts Charcot exhibiting her to the room as she swoons over the arm of one of his assistants. <laughs> and Freud, who is one of Charcot's students for a brief time, kept a copy of this painting in his Vienna and London studies. Blanche Whitman stayed with Charcot for 16 years, performing frequently at his lectures, but then went on to become Marie Curie's laboratory assist- assistant. He's just all over the place. With all the She's the just all over the place. This this wasn't Chaco, oh. this was Blanche, oh. the hysteric. She stayed with him for about 16 years. Oh. And then she was like, I feel better now. <laughs> <laughs> it's French accent. That's wonderful. So she went and helped Marie Curie. And was poisoned by radium, resulting in the amputations of her legs and left arm, because why should there be a happy ending? Good. Suffered from hysteria, was paraded around. Got poisoned. Good. That's how this podcast goes. One person said of Charcot's hypnotic performances, Some of the women smelt with delight a bottle of ammonia when told it was rose water. Others would eat a piece of charcoal when presented to them as chocolates. Another would crawl on all fours on the floor barking furiously when told she was a dog, <laughs> flap her arms as if trying to fly when turned into a pigeon, and so on and so forth. Science. Science. <laughs> and then he just wrote, science is so fucking cool underneath. <laughs> Q-E-D. <laughs> but he wasn't a pure asshole. He, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> he taught women, and he worked very closely with them, so he didn't exclude them in, in his teaching. Oh, good. He insisted that hysteria could affect men and women equally, and he took very liberal positions on women's rights. Hmm. More than that, instead of flattering the wealthy by saying that only the sensitive and the brilliant could suffer from hysteria, thus ignoring the sufferings of the poor, he had this to say. The psychological condition of the working class is fundamentally the same as ours, and that, perhaps even more than other people, they are subjected to the destructive effects of painful moral emotions of anxieties related to the material difficulties of life, to the depressing influence of the exaggerated effect of physical forces. We should remember that neuropathic heredity is scarcely the exclusive privilege of the wealthy in life. See, billionaires, poor people have feelings too. That's right. I know Notre Dame burning sucked and that you gave loads of money for that. And no one thanked you. And no one thanked you. But the world is kind of dying. Can you please give money towards climate change? Thank you very much. Because you might not think that us poor people are sad about it literally burning around us. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. So on that happy note. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Hysteria was later taken up by Freud, who had a real... And it was studied in America in the 1800s. It also arose after the First World War when men returned home with what was first called shell shock. But there's just not enough time to talk about it now. So if you want to hear more, 
then tell us on Twitter, we're Awful Forever Pod, or just come and chat with us, or come and find us on Twitter and go, please don't talk about hysteria anymore. <laughs> please, I'm sad. And no more bees. No more bees. No, I don't like them. <laughs> Sharing our podcast with your friends would really help us out, so it that would be great would. of you. Yeah. Some things are nice sometimes. Some things are good sometimes. Feel it's the my fun. turn. Say a nice thing, make me happy. I've got a nice thing. Yeah. It's my partner's and my anniversary today. Oh. May the fourth be with us. May the... Oh, fuck. <laughs> That's right. Yes, it is. Oh, good. We first kissed on Star Wars Day. Oh. We will not be watching those movies. No. <laughs> not no, again. No. Never again. <laughs> Never. But he has put up with me for eight years, and I'm very grateful for that. So that's my happy thing. That's very happy. I have a cold right now, so I can only say, Strix, I love you. (laughs) Strix, I... (laughs) Ow! And he's listening going, that's so romantic. Like, that's exactly what you said to me when we first met. (laughs) That's the woman I've come to know and love. That's oh, my happy thing. That's very that's unusually actually happy for one of us and things are good sometimes. It's like, oh I have feelings. Oh, ah, oh my ah, god. Get oh, the bees. Not a slither in. Get the bees. Fetch the bees. Put them inside her. 